All right. With that, we'll go ahead and uh, go to the book of Hosea, please. Hosea chapter 5. God willing, we'll be expounding verses 6 and 7. The title of the message this morning is, When God Can't Be Found. When God Can't Be Found. You know, there is a time when God can't be found. There is a time when people will look for God, will search for God, will seek His mercy, and will not find it. That's sobering, isn't it? In the previous verses last week, God said the kingdom of Judah would fall with the kingdom of Israel because they had participated in Israel's evil ways. God also said that Israel was too proud and rebellious, if you'll remember, to turn from their idolatry and come to Him. And as a result, their sinful ways would destroy their land. So God said they would fall. And this brings us to this very deep and troubling topic. Because when some people begin to fall, they begin to seek When some people begin to fall, they begin to seek. After refusing to take heed to the warning of God, when it comes time to face the consequences of their wicked behavior, some people will suddenly get religion. How many of y'all have ever seen that before? Almost everybody's seen that. America, we sometimes call this jailhouse religion because a lot of people who go to prison, suddenly get religious because they're hoping God's going to get them out of trouble. I've seen marriage religion. When a man's wife is about to leave him, he'll suddenly get religious, hoping that God will heal his marriage. Or some, I've seen uh, health religion. Someone gets sick, they suddenly get religion, hoping God will heal them. But they're hoping they're going to get out of whatever trouble they're in. But as soon as that trouble is over, whether it's the jailhouse, whether it's the marital trouble, whether it's the the health scare that they have, as soon as that trouble is gone, so is their religion. For the past five chapters, we've been hearing over and over again in no uncertain terms how Israel was wholly given over to idolatry. But the people of Israel weren't interested in hearing about the Bible. They didn't want to obey God's law. They didn't want to uh, uh, please the Lord. They didn't care if they pleased God. All they wanted to do was enjoy their false worship, their wicked ways, no matter what God said about it. So they didn't take heed to God's warnings. But when the things God warned them about began to come to pass, those godless people suddenly got religion, just like we do today. God said, when Israel begins to fall, look in Hosea 5, 6, please, they shall go with their flocks and with their herds to seek the Lord. Boy, when they begin to fall, here they go. They're going to get their flocks, they're going to get their herds, and they're going to go seek God. Now, why would they take their flocks and herds? Anyone? Why would they take their flocks and herds to go seek God? Sacrifices. Who said that? Good for you, Abigail. Sacrifices. Now, back then, that's what they did. They, the, 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 the most obvious form of outward religious worship 
was to get an animal and to sacrifice it. So they're going to take their flocks and their herds, and now they're going to go seek God. We've got our flocks, we've got our herds, we've got our cows, we've got our rams, we've got our, our goats. We're going to go seek the Lord and worship Him. Now today, we don't take flocks and herds with us, do we? What, would, what do we do? We're going to take our Bible. We may start wearing a necklace with a cross around it. We're going to take whatever good deeds we have, whatever religiosity we have, we're going to gather it up and suddenly set out to seek God. We're going to get some kind of help, some kind of relief from the trouble we're in. Again, whether it's sickness, whether it's prosecution, whether it is marital trouble, whatever it is, we gather up our flocks and herds and we go seeking God. Now, they didn't care about God when things were going well. They didn't need the Bible when they weren't afraid. They didn't tremble at the Word of God when the prophets tried to warn them that it was going to uh, come to pass and the dangers that lied ahead of them. But when the trouble God warned them about came upon them, they grabbed their sheep and their cattle and decided, it's time to seek the Lord, sacrifice some animals to him, and hopefully get out of the trouble that we're in. But church, these people had it all wrong. And people that do this today have it all wrong. They came with sheep and cows looking for God, but God isn't interested in sheep and cows. It's not like God said, oh, look, look at all those cows and sheep. Oh, it just blesses my heart. I needed some cows and sheep today. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns everything. God made everything. You see, those animal sacrifices, they were outward religious works that were supposed to represent an inward faith and devotion to God. Now, you take those outward religious works, and if they're not the product of the inward faith and devotion to God, they mean absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, the book of Hebrews warns us about dead works. Interesting, the, the book of James warns us about dead what? Dead faith. The book of Hebrews, on the other hand, it warns us about dead works. And these animals were just dead works. For were it not for the fact that they were facing the judgment of God, they would have never been seeking Him. They weren't really seeking God so much as they were seeking God's help. They drew near to God with their animals, but their hearts were far from Him. They made the mistake of thinking that God was pleased with the ritual of animal sacrifices. But God had no pleasure in watching animals die. The death of those animals didn't do anything for God. Here's what God takes pleasure in. God takes pleasure in justice, in righteousness, in mercy, God takes pleasure in making sinful people whole. That's what the sacrifices were for. But Israel didn't want to be made right. Israel didn't want to be made whole. They just wanted to get out of trouble. Period. They just wanted to make a good outward show to God in hopes of escaping the trouble they were in. Let me give you an illustration how many of y'all have ever known someone who was really good at kissing up to people? I've got someone in my mind right now. My wife knows who it is. 
I love the person, though. But maybe they're good at kissing up to people. Maybe like their boss or somebody else that they think can, you know, uh, be some benefit to them. And people like that, they always act so nice to that person. They act like they're really their friend. But the moment that person's no longer any use to them, or if they think they can gain some advantage by betraying that person, they'll stab them in the back. Let's suppose that you're a supervisor at work. And there is one particular employee that's under you. And that employee is always complimenting you. Always trying to get on your good side. Brings you little gifts to work. Things like that. I mean, it's really nice. But one day you find out. Maybe through an email you happen to overlook. Or you overhear a phone call or a conversation. Or someone tips you off. But you happen to find out one day that this employee that's always kissing up to you. Is really trying to get you in trouble with the people over you because they want to get you fired and take your job. What if you found that out? After you learn that that person is trying to get your job, what will their gifts and compliments mean to you? The next time they come bringing you something, they're giving you a compliment that's actually going to be an insult to you, won't it? Sure will. It would be better if they didn't speak to you than to speak admirably to your face while they're trying to stab you in the back when you're not looking. Isn't that right? You know, that's the type of people these Israelites were. That's the type of people that we have today who gather their religious works and go seek God's face just because they're trying to get something out of them, not because they care anything about them. And God knows people's hearts. And He knew this is the way the Israelites were. You, you may not learn about a person trying to get your job until it's too late. But God knows a person's heart inside and out. He knows who's real and who's not. Sometimes they say, oh, what about, what about these people off in the jungle over here that have never heard about God? How can, how can He let them die without hearing the gospel? God knows those people inside and out. He knows who will believe, who will not believe. He knows who cares about Him, who doesn't. God knows. And God knew the kind of people these Israelites were. Like the person trying to get your job. They were bringing gifts to God, but the gifts were an insult to Him. Because He knew it was all an outward show that was put on by people who didn't like Him. So their sacrifices served no purpose at all. They were like a man giving his mother flowers, not because he loves her, but because he wants to borrow money from her. Every now and then, I'll, if there's some pretty flowers outside, little wildflowers growing, I'll go pick some, and I'll give them to my wife. I'll give some to my mother. Sometimes I'll give some to Allison or, or Leah or Shiloh. I'll pick them little flowers and give to them. What if I brought my mother flowers? I said, here, these are for you, Mama. She said, thank you, son. I said, you're so welcome. Yeah, have you got $5? Little, little, little on cash. Well, every time she saw me bring a flower, she'd be grabbing her purse, right? That's the way these people were to God. The sacrifices had no purpose. They have the appearance of righteousness, but they're filled with rottenness. Write down in your notes, your margin, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 11. 
God asked this question to the people of Israel. He says, to what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? What purpose? He says, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. You think, well, God, you told them to offer these sacrifices. What do you mean you don't like them? It's not about the animals. God, God doesn't take pleasure in watching animals die. He doesn't pl take pleasure in the empty outwardness of religion. God wants you to know Him and serve Him from the heart. It's man that looks on the outward appearance. Here's a kingdom truth. God is not impressed with the hypocrite's religious activities. God is not impressed with the hypocrite's religious activities. You can start going to church. You can enroll in a Bible study. You can get uh, involved in the, in the church when times are bad. And you may be able to impress people, but God knows if you're truly sincere in serving Him. And if you're not, then all you're doing is just gathering your herds and flocks and seeking God. Hosea said, they shall bring their animals with them seeking the Lord. Look back in your text. But they shall not find Him. God will not be found by a person who is seeking Him in vain. God's not going to be, God is not the divorce God. God is not the hospital God. God is not the jailhouse God. Can God heal a family? Yes, He can. Can God heal a body? Yes, He can. Can God forgive a person and set him free from jail? Yes, He can. But those are the, 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 the byproducts of things. We should know and love and serve God no matter what. Job didn't get healed from his sickness, at least for a while. Job lost his children. Job lost his friends, his respect, his own personal health. And then Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That's the heart of a man who truly wants to know and serve God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. He says, they'll not find him. They will seek God, but they will not find him because God's not going to accept gifts from hypocrites who really do not want to please him. Hosea said, look back in your text, he that is God hath withdrawn himself from them. Now this should make all of us have a deep admiration for God. Because a lot of times we get the idea that God is like some old man, some old grandpa that you can manipulate. You can go to old grandpa and you can talk him into anything. You can get your way with old grandpa when times are tough. Old grandpa will be there for you. But God says right here, that he has withdrawn himself from them. That means they're out seeking him. And God says, nope, I'm just going to go over here. And we'll let them wander around with their cows out there. Sacrificing everything. And I'm not anywhere around. I'm not interested. I'm nowhere around. I've pronounced my judgment on them. And my judgment is going to fall. Reading this should make us all very afraid of failing to take heed to God's warnings. It should make us realize that you can't 
put on some cheap religious act for God and talk yourself out of trouble, maybe like you've done so many times before with your parents, with your grandparents, with the law, with somebody else. God sees right through all of that. Here's the kingdom truth. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. But once God releases the arrows of judgment from his bow, he does not call them back. God says, I warn you. I warn you. I warn you. I'm warning you. And once he releases that arrow, it doesn't come back. These people were like a rat trying to escape the trap after the spring had already sprung. You see? They're like people who will try to argue with Jesus. Jesus told us about these people who after he comes back, after the resurrection, they're going to stand and argue with Jesus about why he should let them into his kingdom and not send them to hell. Lord, Lord, have not we done all of these things in thy name? We, we, we taught in your name in the streets. We did this, and we did that, and we did the other. After their life on earth is over, and Jesus will say, I never knew you. And listen, when Jesus says, I never knew you, you know what he's also implying? It's too late for you to know me. I never knew you, and it's too late for you to know me. It's over. The time to escape the trap is before you eat the cheese. The time to know God is before you die. The time to escape the lake of fire is before you reach the great white throne judgment. There are some people who believe that everybody will eventually go to heaven. Y'all ever heard of that belief? Some people believe eventually everybody's going to be able to go to heaven. Eventually we'll all spring out of purgatory. We'll all pay off the residual crimes that we have and the sins that we've done. And eventually we'll all pop out clean and pure and white. And we're all going to live forever. And nobody's going to live forever in the lake of fire. But the Bible is clear that once God's sentence is passed, God's judgment will surely follow. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you can waste your life living for this world and then somehow talk God into sparing you after you die and stand before Him. Don't think that you can live an ungodly life here on earth, even as a Christian, and somehow skip the part where we reap what we sow. You won't. Hosea said, verse 5, they have dealt treacherous, treacherously against the Lord. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord. The Hebrew word translated treacherously here has the idea of putting a cover over yourself and acting deceitfully. These people dealt treacherously against the Lord. They cloaked themselves, they covered themselves in faithful Jewish clothing. But hidden behind that cover was unfaithfulness deceit, idolatry, and corruption. <clears throat> they dealt treacherously to God like an unfaithful wife, making herself look to be so faithful. But on the weekends when he's gone, at night when he's at work, or whatever, she's being the unfaithful spouse. They dealt treacherously, look back in your text, for they have begotten strange children. They've begotten strange children. 
Let's say that you have two people married, two married people. And suddenly, the wife becomes pregnant. And they say, oh, how wonderful. Well, we're expecting a baby. The husband's going out telling everybody, I'm expecting a baby. And that baby's born. And the baby's a different color than the husband and wife. That's pretty clear. That that baby doesn't belong to that husband. There's someone I know who has a, supposed to have a son. Son doesn't look anything like him. Nothing like him. Looks like his friend, but doesn't look like him. And we're all thinking, ah, that baby doesn't belong to that man. That's what God said happened with Israel. She's given birth. She's supposed to be my wife. Under this covenant relationship that I have through Moses' law and the sacrifices and the tabernacle and the promises I've given them. But my wife Israel has given birth to somebody else's child. She's given birth to strange children. Now you think of that as a country giving birth to strange children. It's like a married woman who gives birth to a child that belongs to another man. That's how Israel made love to idols and had begotten a generation of children who did not know the Lord, who did not look like the Lord their father. You see? Oh, how I think of America when I read this. Uh, how I think of all the times I've heard professing Christians missing church on Sunday so they can go watch their children play sports. We cloak ourselves in God's apparel and then we set other gods before Him. We are the generation who pursued higher education for children. I was up to here with hearing someone, you need to get yourself an education. You need to go to college. You need to do this. When we should have been pushing righteous living and a good Bible education. We are the generation who taught children to tolerate sin in the name of diversity. We are the generation who allowed the courts to remove the Bible from our schools. We are the generation who allowed the killing of unborn children in the, what should be the safest place in the world for them in our land, in their mother's wombs. We are the generation who accepted the false religion of atheism in our public institutions, allowed it to be taught. And now is there any wonder why our children don't look like our Heavenly Father, but look like the world instead? We played the harlot. And America has begotten strange children unto God. And now America is filled with those strange children. And God said, because you've done this, look back in your text, now shall a month devour them with their portions. Now shall a month devour them with their portions. In other words, a short time is going to devour what it took you a long time to save up. A month 
will devour them with their portions, with, with, with their, what they, the portions they have stored up. After the tragedy of 9-11, both Democrats and Republicans, they stood together in Washington and they sang, God bless America. Do you know what was happening then when they were singing, God bless America? People were afraid. And because they were afraid, I mean, they had never seen uh, uh, airplanes no longer in the skies. They had never seen their buildings collapse in New York like they had. People were afraid. And because they were afraid, they were bringing their animals, seeking God. It was empty religious worship, no different than what Israel was doing, bringing their flocks and herds. But as soon as the fear was over... They went right back to their godless shenanigans in Washington. God said a month shall devour their portions. America has amassed a tremendous amount of wealth and power and technology and security over the past 200 years. It took our forefathers a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to bring this nation to what it is today. But once God's judgment comes, it won't take long to lose what it took so long to gain. A month shall devour their portions. That's what God is saying. And when that time comes, all the sacrifices in the world won't stop it. When that time comes, people can join hand in hand in Washington. When that time comes, people can gather all their empty religious works and they can get their jailhouse religion and they can seek God to spare them from what they've sown. But all the sacrifices in the world won't stop it. Once God releases His arrows, He never calls them back. The time to repent is when you hear the warning of God. Once that trap is sprung, the mouse is not going to enjoy that cheese He's going to die. With that, we'll go ahead and close. And I want to remind you, as we put that, not just in a national setting, but in a personal setting, the time to make yourself right with God is times like this right here when you're sitting in this pew. Don't wait until your life is over. We're not guaranteed another day, another moment, another year. We always like to plan ahead for our future. We don't know what the future is going to hold. We do know this, though. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. That is an arrow that God released about 6,000 years ago. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, God took that arrow. He warned them. He warned them. They went ahead and ate of that fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil anyway. And God released that arrow on the human race. And because of that, every one of us have to die. That arrow has been released. It's not coming back. So we know that we're going to die. And by God's word, we know that we're going to stand before God one day and give an account. And God's going to judge us according to His Word, according to His law. And the only way that we can be made right with God and that we can overcome sin and death is through the Savior He sent. 
who obeyed that law perfectly on our behalf and endured its judgment on our behalf. On the cross, Jesus stood before God as you, as a sinner, and was condemned in your place so you could stand before God as Jesus in His righteousness, accepted in His merit by God's grace. The time to get right with God and accept Christ as your Savior is now. Because once you die, that arrow's released. You'll die in your sin and you can argue till you're blue in the face. God has given you the opportunity. God has allowed you to be brought up and live in a nation where you can hear and learn the truth. And if you don't take heed to God's warning now, tomorrow may be too late. Learn from what the Israelites experienced. That's why we hear, have these stories in the Bible. So we can watch what they had to go through by not taking heed to God's warning. Then we turn around and we say, God, I will not make that same mistake. I will accept your Savior. I'm sorry, your Son as my Savior. I will accept the salvation you've provided for me. And by your grace, I'll live for Him and live for you. I will sow the fruit that I want to reap. So I will not uh, uh, endure the judgment that's to come. Now, not, we, don't, we, don't in, we don't go to heaven based on the fruit we've sown, but we do reap what we sow here. So we go to heaven based on Jesus' work, but we're blessed by our work in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. I thank you, Father, for giving us these stern warnings here in your word. You're so merciful to us. You want to save us. You don't want us to have that judgment. You don't want to punish us, Lord. You want to have a wonderful, loving relationship with us. But God, if we refuse to heed your warning, if we reject your word, there will come a time when that arrow will be pulled out of your quiver and released upon the rebellious people who refuse to follow you. Lord, I pray that there's anyone here today who does not know Christ as their Savior, that they will come to Him, accept Him as their Lord and their Savior before it's eternally too late. I pray it in Jesus' precious and holy name.